Hello and welcome to the Expat Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Annie. And I'm your host, Steve. And in this podcast, we're going to explore the reality of living life as an expat in Australia and what it really means to feel like you belong. Join us as we uncover the challenges and opportunities that expat life presents on the search for settled. With our stories, tips and interviews, see us as your two friends to help you navigate expat life abroad. Just to let you know, this video podcast series is brought to you by the team at Auric Migration and Mobility. Now, Auric have helped us personally with my visa process to Australia, and we only know too well how difficult the entire process can be if you're doing it by yourself. They have also helped hundreds of our followers, and they're offering our listeners an initial assessment for free. Email them your visa situation, questions or concerns, and they will get back to you at no extra cost. Simply mention the Expat Reality Podcast when you email them at migration at auric.com. Auric is spelled A-U-R-E-C. So that's migration at auric.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Expat Reality Podcast. Excited to bring you another episode today, and we're going to be talking about what it was like when we became ping pong poms. That's right. That means that we actually decided to go back after moving to Australia, we decided to go back to the UK and then move back to Australia again. So it's like a ping pong type of situation. I know. And I I kind of had heard that term before, like kind of, but now I'm very much aware of it. And since we have become one of those ping pong poms, um, there are a lot of thoughts that we've got about that experience um, and time we had back in 2018 when we only lasted six months in the UK. Um, the reason why we didn't last very long is basically we weren't very prepared with that move and it was very spontaneous as well. Um, and we're going to talk all about that today. So I think what we'll do is we'll just kind of almost start from the beginning but briefly tell you about everything that happened up until that point when we ended up in the UK. So just so you're aware my story about moving to Australia is by complete accident. So I came to Australia for well I was traveling around the world for six months. I met Steve in India and then we ended up in Australia for a year which was great. So we just basically saved some money and then we decided we were going to like go off and travel the world together again for a year so that's what we did um which was great but it's kind of weird because at that moment when I was leaving England for six months in the back of my head I was wondering I it's it's weird because I I kind of knew that I wasn't going to go back I don't know if I've actually really ever told you this before but basically what when I was getting ready to leave, I, I got really organized because I was very much into my fashion back then. So I she got, was a bit of a fashionist, actually. I just loved my clothes. So I pa- I vacuum packed all of my clothes into bags and I and I labeled the bags. And I remember numbers. the vacuum bagging now. That was a big thing. Yeah. So that I put, was actually a really big thing. I put all my clothes into bags and I wrote down what was in each bag. Very organized. So I thought if I end up not coming back, then I could get my sister to like send over certain clothes that I would want. Um, and that's what I did. And so when we ended up in Australia, I got her to send like multiple parcels um, of my clothes, which I'm really glad I was that organized back then. And it was kind of random. But anyway, so we were only in Australia for a year. Then we 
embarked on a round-the-world trip. We went to South America and we traveled through Africa as well, which was an amazing trip. But at the end of that trip, we had decided we were going to move to Vietnam and we were going to become teachers there. And I had a friend at the time that was living there. And as soon as we landed in um where did we land into? Oh, we landed into, Ho, into Chi Ho Chi Minh City, yeah. We landed, like, we came from South Africa, from Cape Town, this beautiful, like, sun-drenched, you know, pristine kind of beach thing to landing in the middle of this massive, smoggy, you know, Ho Chi Minh City full of motorbikes and boop, boop, you know, like lots of things <laughs> going on. So, <laughs> so it was a little bit overwhelming, but I, it wasn't really just to do with that, but I think we realized very quickly that it wasn't really the kind of lifestyle we wanted. And so before we knew it, we were on the phone to immigration in Australia and we were trying to work out how I would get back into Australia. So um, when we came into Australia originally, I came on a working holiday visa. So my working holiday visas were up. So we were like, how am I going to get back into Australia? And so we worked out that I could come in on a tourist visa for three months. And during that time, I would get all of my application ready to apply for the partner visa. So that's what we did. So we came back to Australia in 2014 at the beginning of it. And I spent three solid months working on my um, partner visa application. So if you've been with um, an Australian for at least a year, then you can apply for the de facto partner visa, which is what we did. It's a long process. Like it was pretty involved. It wasn't just sort of something you do, you know, in your spare time. It was like you had to like dedicate time to sit down and go through the mountain oh of God, paperwork. It took was so involved. long. It was a lot. So long. And that's um, after we started London and Sydney and I started documenting um, what I did for that visa process, which has basically catapulted our site called London and Sydney, which has now become a big travel site and expat site around Australia. Um, but we didn't really know how long we were going to be in Australia for. It's quite funny, actually, because I was thinking about it earlier before we started like, recording this podcast. And I was just saying to Steve how our plan when we came back from Vietnam, we were like, right, we're going to save money for two years and then we're going to go back to South Africa and we're going to open up a backpacker retreat. Oh. And it's going to be like yoga retreat with smoothies and it's going to be like amazing. I had this amazing dream of that. And like it was going to be all like decked out with like a wooden wooden bar and everything. I had like to be full of awesome travellers. We're going to have like, you know, fire twirlers. We're going to have like full deal, you know, smooth <laughs> acai bowls. You might know I'm a fan. <laughs> and of course, you know, the best beer that South Africa has to offer. It was going to be amazing. And of, of course, that's, you know, fitting right in the middle of my SIE and beer rating scale, which is, um, anyway, moving along. So um, <laughs> so this was the dream that we had in our minds. It was this amazing backpackers that was just going to be epic. Really, no, we didn't even really think it through though, did we? Because no. we were like, oh, we're just going to do that. <laughs> well, because actually we're in, it's funny because we'd actually been working uh, at a backpackers, you know, uh, sort of earlier on in our trip, um, which was actually an English school at the same time. So it was... You know, it was this kind of thing we had, well, they can do it, we can too. I know, but we were very, very naive. And so obviously that never happened. And so after like four years of living then in Sydney, we moved around quite a lot in the lower North Shore. So we lived in like Kirribilli and um, in Neutral Bay and then Camaray as well. We just kept moving because we were like, oh, we lived in a, a place in Kirribilli. It was like tiny. It was like literally like a box. And then we were like, Oh, we'll move somewhere bigger. But it was like, 
when I think back to the rent, it was like so much more money in rent and we just thought we could afford it. And then once we realized, actually, we want to do one last trip around the world. So then we moved again into literally like a studio. I don't even know how we like, I don't even know how, <laughs> how our we did it. Like, you know, like, how it didn't deteriorate. I have no idea. I don't, like. know. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. But anyway, we spent a year then living in a, an even smaller place. A shoebox would probably be a kind word. I yeah, definitely. Um, for a year while we were saving money to then go and have one final trip around the world to tick off those bucket list experiences, um, which is what we did. And it was awesome. And then we got to Cuba at one point and that is when everything changed. And so what happened, Steve? Well, uh, I think it was on Varadero Beach. Um, there was this moment and I think, you know, I was sitting in the slinky waters and, you know, kicking back and, you know, mine cast far away and... <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, you know what? I think we should move back to the UK. There was this moment and I was like, yeah, I think we should do it. I think we should just, you know, up and go back to a, a big city with lots of people. And so by this point, I'd been away from the UK for seven years and I was only meant to be away for six months. So it's seven years in the making. And when Steve said that to me, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I can't wait because, you know, I... I never really knew how long we were going to be in Australia for really. And it just, it ended up just being somewhere we kept gravitating back towards. But then when he said, let's move back, because we were actually just going to go there for a visit. And then for me, I was like, this is awesome. Let's go and do it. But and when we were in Cuba at the time, there wasn't really very much internet. So we naively assumed that we would just. Well, actually, that's a story within itself. And I've just got to touch on that because. There's, if, if anyone's ever been to Cuba, internet is a little bit tricky to get hold of and a little bit like, you know, a drug dealer would be sneaking around <laughs> and kind of, you know, trying to deliver their wares. You'd get these little taps on the shoulder from these people. You're standing in the town square, you're just chilling out. It's like, wait, hey, wait, hey. I'm like, what? <laughs> Did you just say it's Wi-Fi? Funny. Is that like, like some code word for something? Like, Isn't it funny? Like yeah. different places go, what's it, Barcelona? They were like, marijuana, marijuana. And we're like, what? <laughs> And then Cuba's like Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. And we're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Very different story. Let's uh, let's get back to the story. So we didn't really have much um, internet, obviously, in Cuba. But we kind of assumed it'd be a similar process going back to the UK. So we thought, well, we'll just get Stephen on a tourist visa and then we'll apply for the partner visa for him when we, when we get there. And so you got a six-month tourist visa. And then when we got to the UK, we realized that, Actually, the visa process was not the same at all. It was actually really hard. I had to kind of go back to Australia and make my application there. It was going to cost a load of money. We had to oh have a God. ton of money in the bank. You, it was a huge process. Yeah. Yeah. So you either had to have, I think it was like £18,000 in your bank account. Um, or you, I had to have a job in England for six months before Steve could apply for the for the spouse visa over there. So obviously when we landed, I didn't have a job at the time. Um, and so we were like, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. But we thought that, you know, once I'd been there for six months, Steve could just apply for the partner visa and stay. But it wasn't actually like that at all. He was then going to have to go back to Australia and wait there until it'd been approved. That could be ages, back. right? That could be a while. Oh, I that's right, yeah. So... Um, that's kind of what we found out with the process. But, you know, when we came back to England, we decided um, that we wanted to live in Brighton. And 
which is on the south coast of England. And the reason why I wanted to live there is because A, my brother was living there at the time and B, I had a really strong connection to there. So I uh, went to university in Brighton, loved it. And I felt like that was the place where we were meant to be. So when we arrived into England, it was awesome, wasn't it? Because there was like a heat wave going on. Oh, everyone was out. It was like party zone. People, you know, in the bars and everyone's having a great time. Like it was a really good vibe. It was really fun, wasn't it? And so we booked an Airbnb for the first couple of weeks we were there, which is with a girl who was in like her 20s and she had like this crazy cat that <laughs> is in a flat. Okay, okay, right. <laughs> so I, I, this is an interesting point because I had to touch on this. Now, I, I've never seen this before, but we lived in this apartment with, with a, a cat that could play fetch. Yeah. That's right. They could play fetch. Now, what, not not just regular fetch. What you'd do is you'd throw this like a little bit of like a pipe cleaner and the cat would run and grab it and then you would put the pipe cleaner down the cat tunnel and, and scratch the top and then they would jump out the top of the cat tunnel, like literally, you know, four feet like, in the air. It was like doing cat tricks. It was. It was amazing. Yeah. Cat tricks and that, that was an epic cat. It was amazing. It was an epic cat, wasn't it? So we started to have a look for places to live, but um, you know what? It was really hard to find anywhere because neither of us were working, and so no one was going to take us yeah. in. And we started to look at shared houses, and they oh, they, oh yeah, they weren't yeah. great. It wasn't, it wasn't a pretty story. It, it was weren't pretty. pretty stories. They were like oh, dumps, weren't they? And so in the end, we spoke to our Airbnb host, and we were like, hey, you know, can we come and stay with, can we just stay with you permanently? And then she was like, yeah, okay, why not? She said, you know, I've only just started the Airbnb. I can't really be bothered with it. And so before we knew it, we were living with this girl and we were like, cool. Okay. So we've got someone to live. Great. Um, and it wasn't cheap either. It was quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, she, she knew she had us in a bit of a, she knew, <laughs> a yeah. mind, so we couldn't really go like we, well, we're going to pay more for like a worse share house. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so we had that sorted, which was great. Then I needed to get a job and it really wasn't easy. This is going back to 2018 and it wasn't really that easy to get work. Um, and you know, I tried to get something in Brighton. It wasn't working. So then I started to look in London and I actually ended up getting a job at a radio station right in the middle of London, which for me was like gold dust because, the best job I ever had was working at a different radio station in, in central London, which I just adored. So I felt like, you know, the cat that got the cream in a sense where I was like, oh, this is amazing. I get to work right in the middle of London again in radio. It's going to be like exactly like old times. And well, you got the radio voice. So, you know, radio, but just be like, bear in mind, <laughs> I was not on radio. So it wasn't on radio. Yeah, it was a content role. But so it was really amazing to get back into London life. And I thought, in my head, I was like, okay, so the commute from Brighton to London was about an hour, maybe an hour and a half max. I thought I can deal with that every day. That's not a huge problem. And I didn't really see what the big deal was because I knew lots of people had done that in the past. And I thought, you know, no one's really, <laughs> no one really complains about it. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it'd be okay. And so before we went, um, before I started that job, we were like, Let's go on a quick holiday as a one last trip before you, you know, go back to work life again. And so we went to Croatia because we that was one of the things we were looking forward to most about moving to England. So making trips, you know, over to, to Europe on the weekends, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like little city holiday ex excursions. We thought that it was going to be like, the because after living in Australia where, you know, you're so far away from everywhere, we thought, 
oh, it's going to be amazing because we'll get to go and see all these cities and amazing places. And so we went to Croatia for five days and I put it on a credit card and I'd never used a credit card before. And like we literally spent so much money because it was so expensive. Oh, yeah. And like I remember it being like, I think it was like 50 quid or something for some fish and chips and a glass of wine each at a, like a really crappy restaurant. And we were just like, okay, yeah, this this dream is probably not going to be a reality to what we mm. thought it would be. And um, and anyway, so I started the new job and I was super excited about it. And I, mem- I always remember the first Friday starting that job and Steve came up from Brighton to meet me after work. And then a couple of my best mates came and met us as well. And we all went for drinks just off Carnaby Street, one of the pubs I used to go to all the time. And I honestly felt like I was back living that life pre-Steve, like living that London life again. And I just remember being so happy and so excited that I was in that world once you again. Know, having lunch at Pret and lining up oh, and Pret. getting the meatball sandwich. And Can I just say, why is Pret not in Australia yet? Like why? Why? <laughs> that, that is a very good question. I, I, I really am thinking that I would love one of those amazing, you know, meatball sandwiches. <laughs> That's so tasty. I'm like, why aren't they here? And if you don't know what Pret is, subway off the perch. <laughs> if you don't know what Pret is, it's basically just like a fast food place in the UK, which is a definite go-to on your lunch break. Um, but anyway, so I thought the commute was going to be okay. But then you know what? After the first three weeks, it only took three weeks of in that job for me oh. to literally turn around and be like, well, what is going on in this place? And and what I mean by that is, so with the role I had, I had to basically communicate with the sales gut team um, in order to, with the on-air people as well. And it was just awful. And I remember like within the first three weeks, I remember this girl from the sales team, I think, and she just went bananas at me on the phone. And I was like, what? And I hadn't really experienced people treating other people like that before. And I was so shocked that I couldn't I couldn't believe that in 2018 that was actually allowed in a company for people to treat each other like that. So the definition of bananas is she was being rude or kind of? Yeah, I mean, that's a, such a good question. Yeah, she just went, it was like she was blaming me for something that was mm. nothing to do with me. And it was, and it was really awful. I remember going home, like crying, being like, oh my God, I can't believe someone's treated me like this. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And then I started to notice people were in tears all the time in that in that workplace and it was the most it doesn't sound like a very healthy workplace it was horrible it was the most toxic people place. in tears all the time but add to the top of that was the commute right yeah so i mean that was one that was honestly the most toxic workplace i've ever worked at in my life and i had the commute on top as well which originally i thought it was going to be an hour maybe an hour and a half tops to get into work every day and it wasn't because the transport system in the uk is absolutely cr- like Terrible. So I'm catching my train back from the hostel I'm staying in in Richmond to go back into London. And uh, anyway, this announcement comes over the the loudspeaker or the tannoy, as it's called in England, saying uh, the uh, train on platform four is late due to leaves on the track. And I'm like, what? Are you you actually serious? Leaves on the track are going to stop a massive train. Is that is that is that that's, true? That's the thing. So what happened to me is I would constantly hear them talking over the tunnel going, 
oh, can the train driver turn up? And they just were, I was like, what is going on? And so my commute would end up being where I would, I would leave the house at like maybe 7 a.m. to get there for nine. And most days I'd be getting in at 10. And then I wouldn't be getting home till like eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock most nights. And that just becomes so exhausting. And you know what? Like when I told people in Australia what, what that experience was like, I was paying equivalent of a thousand dollars a month so it's about 500 pounds a month this is in back in 2018 that's a, that's, that's a lot so it's probably more than that Crazy. now to commute to london but because of so many people catching the trains i would have to sit on the floor in the carriageway like in the in the blame way of where all the seats were chivalry was well and truly dead right so there's like guys like sitting in seats and they're fighting over who oh, gets yeah. the primo oh, primo seats yeah. right yeah that that doesn't exist in the uk i tell you that and what i know and it was and there was a lot of passive aggression on that journey which is understandable in a sense but (laughs) isn't that like a standard tube thing though i'd see people having fights at 7 a.m it was it was not pleasant i mean it was a whole elbow thing and that was explained to me at an early stage (laughs) with the whole tube situation is that you had to get your elbows out and like you know there was just no there take no prisoners attitude with the elbows i was a bit Shocked to be honest. So, um, yeah, that was an experience. And I um, salute anyone who currently has to do that commute because, wow, like that is impressive that you are doing it because – my lasted four months doing oh, the, that. Oh, the drivers wouldn't turn up too. Like they'd be, oh, I'm sorry, the train's late on uh, platform six because the driver's not there. I'm like, well, hey, where is he? Get him out of the pub. Like he should be on the train. <laughs> driving the thing. So not only was the – commute really bad the job was really bad as well and it's super toxic but I was trying to stay I was trying to almost keep up with my Australian routine in a sense while we're back in England and what I mean by that is you know I would still try and get up in the morning to go for a run before work but and getting up at like half five in the morning to go for a run in winter um in Brighton um wasn't the same as getting up at 5am for a run in Sydney and so when I'd be running along, you know, the only people I would see are like people who were still drunk or whatever they were on from their night out. Bear in mind we're in Brighton here um, at 5.30 in the morning. And so I didn't quite. <laughs> so you're like running past the mobile parties. You're like you're seeing these kind of, you know, the uh, remnants yeah. of the party sort of as you're kind and of running along in the morning. I didn't, I can't say I felt too safe doing that. Um, so that was kind of hard to keep up. But I remember on my lunch break, so I tried to go for a run through Hyde Park and Kensington Palace. And that was awesome to do that because I felt hugely like there were very much pinch me moments that I was there living back in that sort of London life, which was amazing. And I tried to drink smoothies at work, which everyone thought I was really weird. And I actually remember telling people how I gave up alcohol for like a year in Australia. And they They probably looked at you very oddly. They just did not get it. They were like, why? Like, why would you do that? Like, why? And I was like, oh, you know, it was actually quite easy. Is something wrong with you? Like, is there a medical reason? Yeah, (laughs) because, you know, going going to the pub was like, like, you'd go to the pub at lunchtime after work. Like, this is what everyone did. And, um, yeah, so that was very interesting getting back into that pub scene. But, you know what I realized um, about living in Brighton especially is that, you know, I was no longer a student anymore living there. And that time had clearly moved on for me. And being back there almost like sort of made me remember those days, but that yet I wasn't still in those days. And so it was 
a bit confronting. <laughs> Maybe it reminded you, you know, time had moved on. You're kind of like, ooh. Time had moved on. Yeah. And I actually, it's actually quite ironic because a friend of ours has just moved down there and she came to visit us um, one night and she actually just sent me a message with her and her husband in the pub where we took her to in Brighton when we lived there. And she was like, oh, look, we're in that pub. And I remember that night in the pub and we were like, we were like the oldest people in there and it was just all students wasn't it and they were yeah. like 18 19 and there was and i was like god i feel like mom and dad here like <laughs> yeah. times has mo- have moved on definitely like, but- you know the gray hairs are more apparent you know <laughs> you can definitely feel like you know maybe maybe we're a little old for this one but i think that's one thing i realized is that you know if we were to move back again i i probably wouldn't try and recreate a life i had before because it's definitely not going to be the same mm. and you know as time did go on i realized that I was actually really missing Australia, um, which I didn't think would happen, you know, because I spent seven years really missing the UK. I missed the vibe of England. I missed the people. I missed the life, you know, of England as well. And I never really thought I was going to miss Australia because there was only so much beach and sunshine, you know, that you can not handle, but just appreciate um, without sort of wanting more from your life. And I was like, well, you know, the beach and sunshine is just not enough. But as time went on and it was becoming winter, like I totally forgot what winter's like in the UK in terms of the sun doesn't really rise very much at all. No, and it's it's really cold. <laughs> it's, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I, I really remember is like, you know, waking up and having the the like the actual outside windows, like all iced up and everything. And it was like. I didn't mind that though, because I really like central heating and that cozy feeling is really lovely what? rather than. Yeah. Don't get me started on Australian like housing. I was just about to say that. That's, oh, God. that's a whole nother topic. I mean, I could go well into that because oh. there's a, you know, a big thing at the moment with the, the study actually of, you know, the, the, the heating and temperatures that are inside some of Australia's housing. So it's really bad because they're built really bad and there's no insulation. But um the one thing that you know I really noticed is, you know, I started looking on Instagram and seeing everybody's pictures and videos of them in Bondi Beach and you know, experiencing Australian summer again. And it started to make me think, hmm, yeah, that was we actually had it pretty good over there. Like, and we've we've moved back here and yet you know our Saturdays are going to Aldi in in Brighton and just being like oh my god like this this is our trip to (laughs) Portslade Aldi that was the uh, highlight of the weekend oh my gosh yeah so and and that's the thing as well is like we thought we were going to be going on all these trips and stuff but because the commute for me to London was so bad the last thing I wanted to do on the weekend was, get, yeah, again, getting a car and travel. And that's another point, actually, that, yeah, I'd like to just touch on, is that just like anywhere in the southeast of England is just that jam-packed full of cars that you have to get up super early just to avoid any congestion. So, mm. like, if you want, oh, you know, I might just jump in the car and go out and, you know, do something, plan an extra hour and a half, oh, like, onto least. the journey. It takes, I remember. It's insane. I remember going to visit my brother and, and obviously in Brighton, like, before we moved back, and he would be like, oh, your flight is at this time, but we're going to have to leave like an extra two hours before because of traffic. And I was like, but it's like a Tuesday lunchtime. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, that's what it's like. And that really surprised me. And I remember us going to see our friends in Chester for the weekend and it was supposed to take like three, maybe four hours to get to. And it took us like seven or eight because we were just stuck on the motorway. 
uh, which was just awful. The thought of, oh, we're going to have to do that on the way back now before I have to then get on a train and start my week again. And also it rained a lot as well. So we didn't really get to see very much of the UK when we lived there. And the trains are crazy expensive. So so expensive. Yeah, so basically you're trapped between taking the car and like being jammed in with all this traffic or catch the train. It's uber expensive. And the petrol is super expensive as well in England. So like it was just really expensive for us to go anywhere anyways. Um, But... Yeah, so it was, I started to think about Australia a lot more and actually how 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 much better sort of quality of life we had over there as well. Um, and, you know, I realised as well going on holidays to England was not the same as living there again. And so, you know, even though I missed the vibe of like England and the pubs, culture and everything, I really started to look at it very differently after living in Australia. So... You know, even trying to go on a, like, I really miss going on bushwalks, but you try and go on a walk in England and you're walking through someone else's field <laughs> to another field to another field. And it's it's just obviously never going to be the same. Yeah. And I think a national park is very different. It's a different experience to, to bushwalking. In the UK, as you say, like you open the paddock door and it's some farmer's, you know, sheep laden paddock and... And then uh, you just go from that to another one and kind of, oh, there's some interesting countryside. and But, yeah, it's not got that same untouched feel as what you'd have coming to a national park. And that's obviously it? what Australia does incredibly well is the national parks over here are unbelievable. That said, there are some very nice gardens at, at our parts of, so like those uh, estates and that ah, sort of thing, right? So yeah. they're really cool though. They're lovely In England, manicured yeah. gardens. Right? Oh, beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so basically. Basically, we then had to decide what we were going to do in terms of whether to stay in England or whether to move back to Australia. And that was just agony for me to make that decision. Like I felt really torn because my heart was in England and I and like my heart really wanted for it to work for us more than anything. And, you know, my mental health was crashing and burning hard <laughs> during that time. And I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was... Yeah, just, I wasn't so laughy at the oh time. My, though, at the time it was awful. And, um, you know, we realised that our happiness was worth way more than anything. And so we decided to get out of England and to move back to Australia because, first of all, I couldn't... There's no way I could have continued on with that job. Even four months was way too much for me to be in it. And the commute was too hard as well for me. And then Steve not being able to work but also um, having to leave me and go back to Australia and wait for that um, for that visa just wasn't worth it for us. No. We had never even really been apart before because we met while we were traveling. So in seven years, we'd never spent more than probably like two or three weeks apart and I'd go back to England by myself. So the thought of spending months apart from each other was just not a reality that we really wanted. And so Steve's final day on his tourist visa was actually Boxing Day, which is I kind of good in a way because we've got Christmas in England, but at the same day, well, it could have been better if it was a bit after New Year. But we then were like, okay, well, we're going to have to leave on Boxing Day and get out of England. So where did we go? Ah, where did we go? We went to Georgia. So we went skiing. Oh, yeah, we went to Georgia. That was interesting. I, oh, wow, I had a great time in skiing there. It was super cheap to go skiing in Georgia. So we went, we went skiing in Eastern Europe to a country called Georgia, which was on Steve's bucket list. And um, and it was super cheap. We paid like fifty. It was a fifty pounds a night to for skiing, yeah. skiing out. Chalet ski out. on the on the snow, skiing, skiing out. 
Um, but like I, I think I attempted it once skiing and then that was it. My mental health was not in a good place and there was no way I could like, I, I was not in a headspace to be like, oh, I want to learn a new skill here and go skiing. Like, I think Annie secretly found the little kids like flying down the mountain, like, uh, you know, really uh, at hyper speed and like, like, flying past her, a little oh, bit God. intimidating. That's so intimidating. I felt really <laughs> rubbish about myself. But it's a bit like me. Like I'm not like I'm, I was, I tried to learn to surf in Agnes Water and uh, there was like, you know, kids like five or six and. Yeah, they're doing like hang 10, everything on the surfboard. And I'm just struggling to stand up and felt really a little bit intimidated there. So I do understand. So we we uh, managed to get some of us because we've accumulated stuff when we're in England and we uh, got it all sent out by um shipping company that we've used before uh, called Dory Bonner who have been really good. And because we ended up accumulating loads, I got loads of clothes because I found like in England that I found that there's nothing really to do when it's raining. So I did just go shopping because the shops in England, they change their stock like daily. Whereas in Australia, they don't change it as often. So I would just constantly be like, oh, I'll go into Zara and buy more clothes, which I really didn't need. Well, I think shopping in the UK is a lot more of a, you know, it's a big pastime. It's a big I mean, thing. It's a lot here, but I think it's even more so there. But one thing I did like about that in England is that women would like – they would go out of their way to compliment each other about what they were wearing. And they'd always be like, oh, wow, where did you get this from? Where did you get that from? That's really nice. And that's a really lovely thing, whereas I never, ever saw that in Australia. And I still haven't ever since. Like people, they might say like, oh, that's nice. But they'd be looking like, hmm, that's nice. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's from here. And they're like, oh, okay. Like To me, look, look I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm a fashionista, <laughs> a fashionista. So, you know, it, but from what I could see from an external male point of view is that there's not a lot of diversity in fashion in Australia. <laughs> is, is that, would you say that's a fair assessment or? Uh, I think active wear, as they call it, is a, as wear. they call it, is a, um, is a thing over here. It's probably a big thing in England as well. But I think talking about the differences with the people is, is pretty much the topic that we're talking about right now, rather than actually being about fashion is that I think even though there was a big thing of passion, uh, passion, passive aggression in <laughs> England, um, but that was really to do with the commute that I had, which was kind of understandable. Um, I've always found English people to be way more chatty. Like we'll get on public transport oh, yeah. and there's just one have a chat and like, and that's, and they almost like come together in these situations. Like, you know, if we're waiting for a train, everyone will be like talking about it or something. Oh. Steve loves, um, you know, bigging up the Aussie accent in England and uh, which seems to, people seem to love that sort of corny Aussie nuss about you, which is, which I do too. It's very funny and, and endearing as well. When we came back to Australia, we definitely felt like it was the right decision we made and um, it just felt good, didn't it, to be back. And I didn't ever feel like I would, I didn't ever think I would ever feel like that, but I definitely felt like I had come home, which was probably the first time I ever felt like that. Um, since I first met Steve and came to Australia. Uh, strangely enough as well for me, I felt, uh, you know, like a new appreciation for being back here. So, you know, there were kind of things that I kind of looked at a little bit differently. Um, you know, I could probably <laughs> make a whole like program on that. But, I mean, the sort of, you know, just sort of the, the, the natural world and also just I think, again, people's sense of kind of just being at peace with themselves I, I think was a really thing that, I noticed from, you know, compared to our experiences in the UK. So it was, yeah, really, uh, really, really opening experience, I thought. Definitely. And it, it made me appreciate much more about Australian life as well. So, you know, 
as I said before, I was like, well, you know, beach and weather isn't really a factor to stay in a place. But yet this time when we came back, I was like, hmm, actually does make a huge difference to have space and the great outdoors and to be able to like really get out on the weekends and explore different places. And I really appreciated that more than anything, I think. So, it's a, you know, I, I really appreciated not being compressed and sort of confined as much uh, as we were in the UK and there's the wide open spaces. It's, you know, and that's something I think coming back you really appreciated in, uh, in Australia. And, you know, what's really interesting is um, about not eight months or so after we did come back, um, I then went back out to England again to see a friend of mine, which I was not expecting to go back so soon after. But I'm so glad I did because that was in 2019. And I'm glad I sort of got over that experience of having to leave because it was really traumatic, like deciding to – I felt like we were just talking about it before and I felt like I almost like I was giving up my life of living back in England to come back to Australia. But now I realize that was just at that time that it wasn't quite right and that, you know, that's not something we can't do again in the future. But what was really interesting is when I went back eight months later to see my friend, I realized that actually for me, it's better to go back for visits than to live there permanently. Because when I go back on holiday there, it's like I get to see my friend's and family more than I would do living there. Well, this is the thing because when you go back on it on a you know for a purposeful visit, like everyone gets together and all that sort of thing, and it's it's like it's a you know it's uh, it's like a thing. Everyone's and you, there, and you get to spend more like better quality time with people yeah. rather than living there and and you know being exhausted and tired and miserable. And you're not re- you like I wasn't really spending the better time of people to what I should have done. And I think when you do come back, people find the time. And I think Mm -hmm. because everyone's really busy as, you know, you naturally are as life goes on, um, if you're just sort of on a, in the day-to-day scheme of things, maybe if you live there, you wouldn't see those people as much because, you're, oh, they're just down the road. I'll see them whenever and there's not really that urgency. But when you come over visiting, right, everyone's like, yeah, cool, let's all get together. And that's a really interesting point. So I've had quite a lot of readers that have reached out to me over the years who've said the same, that, you know, friends and family ask them to move back. They really miss them. And so they give up their their lifestyle in Australia and they move back. And then when they get back, they don't actually see them as much as what they thought they would. And then they're sitting there going, oh, I just gave up that to Uh, see you all and now I don't see you. I moved all this way. Like let's see each other every weekend and it doesn't kind of happen. And getting into Australia is not that easy. So, you know, if you are, I would say if you are thinking about it, I would definitely wait until you've got your permanent residency um, before giving up that sort of experience personally. but like I said, I think our experience is quite different to probably most people's. Like you're probably not going to have like two, three hour commute every day to work and work in a very toxic workplace like I did and be under that pressure really of, that we were with Steve's visa. So I think it, it's probably quite different for everyone <laughs> to what we had. Yeah, your mileage may vary. <laughs> so, you know, this is just our experience, of course. Definitely. So if we were to do it again, uh, which, you know, we probably will at some point in our lives. I'm I'm sure we definitely will. But if we were to do it again, you know, I'd be, I would make sure obviously that we're way more organized. I would guess these visas. I think organization is just like the key to everything. If you can organize, you know, and actually get all the information ahead of time, it's probably a little bit more helpful than kind of doing it on the run. 
Definitely. And so I think we would get Steve's visa organized before we even left Australia. And um, I would make sure as well that we um, had secure jobs as well before we would get there because how on earth are you going to be able to get a rental if you don't have a job? Well, at least one person, you know, would need to have some sort of job. I mean, you, otherwise you're going over there and you're just hoping for the best and that could be, you know, not and in so well. Obviously, unless you have family or friends to stay yeah, with to help you story. out. Um, <laughs> so I think we'd also make sure that we were living close by to friends as well and people that you really want to be spending quality time with. So like I said, like if you want to travel around the UK, it's it's not as easy as you might think it is um, just for a weekend getaway unless you live nearby. And also, like I said, everyone's story is completely different. So if you are feeling a bit indecisive about whether you should move back home at the moment and now you've listened to our story and gone, oh, my gosh, like, why would I do that? But, you know, our story is quite unique and we're just telling you the reality of, of what it was like for us. So um, that's where we're at with it. But, you know. Would we would we go for it again? What do you reckon, Steve? Would you do it? I would. I I think if the the conditions were right and we were you know in a place where we decided we wanted to move back, we would. I I, I would. Of the things I'd probably miss most is uh, Christmas and UK summer. Those are the moments that I love more than anything. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, and he's a big fan of seeing all Christmas decorations. He's a very big Christmas decoration enthusiast. I love Christmas. Christmas Christmas not the same in Australia. Well, you don't have the snow. I like so. New Year's. January's great, but Christmas, no. No. Um, I, I miss the build-up to Christmas and the lights and the excitement and, oh, just there's nowhere else I can. So Christmas for me in Australia is all about barbecues. Uh, it's about being on the beach. You know, it's about sunshine and sort of happy days, whereas in England it's more of, you know, being indoors and the, it's snowing outside and warm fires and, you know, mulled wine and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a different vibe. And I think, you know, if, if you're, you're like a, a tinsel enthusiast and you like your decorations and, and snow, I, I think the UK might be right up your alley. There we go. So that's Steve's uh, input about Christmas. Okay, so that's our story about moving back to England and then now coming back to Australia. We will be sharing way more stories with you on this podcast series coming soon. And thanks very much, everyone, for listening today. Yeah, thank you. And we shall see you on the next podcast for more interesting tidbits. Stay tuned. Tidbits. Tidbits.